Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in New York, I'm sorry, from the City of Angels in Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, who is not here today because she's fixing her computer, as if she knows how to fix a computer. Anyway, we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 25 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook Live, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, and about 20 more other platforms all around the world. And we're so proud to be voted the number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, and one of the top six best podcasts by Caring.com, as well as number three podcast out of thousands of caregiver podcasts on Feedspot. Oh, I'm sweating here in LA. It's like 109 degrees outside. Air conditioning never works when you want it to. Anyway, we have an exciting show planned for you today. And I would normally say, don't we, Adrian? And she says, yes, we do. <laughs> we have Jim Dowder, registered nurse, and his beautiful wife, Mona Dowder, a physical therapy assistant. And uh, before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Larry Nysonson. Larry is Senior Vice President, Chief Commercial Officer for Genworth U.S., life insurance segment, including CareScout. And uh, he is a wonderful guy who educated us on life insurance and long-term care insurance, which every caregiver should have. And hopefully uh, their loved one has it, but if you don't, it's too late. They're already, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the kind of thing you need to get when you're late 40s, early 50s, when it's cheap enough. And I've got mine, I hope you got yours. Anyway, you can listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of those other 25 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Our guest today <coughs> is Jim Dowda, uh, male nurse in uh, West RN, excuse me, registered nurse in, and he just happens to be a male. You know, there's no sigma anymore with being a male nurse, right? You think of those Seinfeld episodes. And uh, Jim has, is on the front lines right there in West Palm Beach, and uh, he works in the ER. And during the uh, beginning of the pandemic, he got the brunt of it. I'll let him tell his story. And Mona, his beautiful wife, who does physical therapy, and she always gives me great advice for all my many surgeries that I go through with my ankles and my arms and my legs and my knees and this and that. So God bless you both. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Hey, it's my pleasure. And, and just pardon me for wiping the sweat off my brow. You know, we're just not used to this kind of weather. But uh, how's the weather over there in uh, Florida? Probably worse than here, huh? It's heat index is 104 today. Yeah. Yeah, I see a little fan working up. I need to install a fan in my studio. Isn't that a great idea? Yeah. I'll have Cousin Dan do it. There you All go. Right. <clears throat> So I always like to ask my guests, and you've been on the show before, so this isn't your first rodeo. <laughs> right. And uh, you were such a hit last time, and now especially during COVID-19, everybody, I mean, if you're conservatives, you believe one way about what's going on and conspiracy theories, and if you're a liberal, you believe one way about what's going on and conspiracy theories. Everyone thinks the other one is doing a conspiracy theory. So this is a very apolitical show. That means we're not gonna talk politics. We're not going to bash the Republicans or the Democrats or Trump or Pelosi. We're just right. going to just Joe Friday. Remember that show, Dragnet? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. So <laughs> what can, you do? can you do that? Can, can you uh, raise you the hand I will not be political? Okay. Uh, as, as he walks with a, capitalism, with a capitalism shirt on. But, you know, it's okay because America is a capitalistic nation and hopefully will remain one. Uh-oh, I just became political. Okay. So I like to ask my guests. Uh, just who is Jim and Mona, and why were they put on this earth? Go ahead, the floor is yours. Well, um, I'm a registered nurse, have been for 
oh, a little over 30 years. And I believe one of the reasons I'm here, my personal belief system is that I'm here to make the world a better place, help people and uh, be a blessing to God and man, help people who are in need. And that's one of the benefits I get from my job. It's very gratifying. Uh, I see a lot of people come in uh, with a lot of fear and anxiety with teaching. They can, uh, you can literally see the anxiety reducing. I love it when they come in sick and they go home better. Um, <laughs> it's a very gratifying a job. You're a healer. And my wife is too from a different angle. Right, and I want to doubt it. And um, uh, I really follow what Jim is saying. I love being a, a helper to anybody. Uh, I don't need the uh, accolade of it. I just enjoy helping. I take care of my parents uh, as a side thing. Um, my dad is uh, 92 and my mom is 89. And as God, they get older, I know, right? As they get older, they're getting, uh, we, we're just here to be a help and a blessing and whatever we can do to make their their lives better. So anyway, cool. I also gonna... work in physical therapy with uh, seniors and I love what I do uh, very much. And when you love what you do, you're good at it. I will say That's this, Dave, right. that the... passionate about it. Yeah. Yep. The last few months have been pretty intense, and uh, I'm glad that you're addressing this because it's all over the place now. But uh, the topic, um, but it has been pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just got back from CNN, did a, a med essential medical conference there, the hot spot. People say, "What are you crazy? You're going there?" I says, "You think I'm going to turn down missing Dr. Drew, Dr. Oz, Dr. Jocelyn Elder, 15th Surgeon General, and Dr. Mark Siegel?" Who just a few months ago I didn't even know who he was. Now he's all over Fox News, and um, uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, and um, I learned that uh, <clears throat> this whole topic is very, very political, and it shouldn't be. Uh, I like the way uh, Mark Siegel says when you, or maybe it was Dr. Drew, he says politics plus science equals politics. You know, there's just you, you don't win, and and now you know because of politics, we're not uh, doing testing of. of drugs that could be working, you know, and it's just sad. This has never happened in, in history. So um, the first question I'd like to ask you is uh, explain, um, you are actual recipients of COVID-19, uh, explain how that happened and how it is that your wife joined you in that uh, privilege. <laughs> well, that was my fault. Oh, well, your fault. <laughs> probably, probably. Probably, um, okay. Well, what happened is that uh, March, I think it was March 23rd, I came down with the COVID virus myself. What had happened is that several weeks before that, uh, the COVID began to really hit, and the hospital I work at had to make some radical policy decisions. Um, and actually, while I was out on quarantine, they developed them even further. But what happened is that we were admitting patients and they weren't being checked in the ER because one, we didn't have a way of doing it. And two, we didn't really know what we were doing. This has been a whole learning curve for everybody. And, and so we, what, what month, what month, what then? March, March, okay. March, end of February, March. Um, so <clears throat> people would come in and then we'd find out after they'd already been admitted and after they'd been around all these other people that they had the COVID virus. And that's how several nurses came down with it themselves uh, because we would admit they, the patient. They, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did they have testing at that time to know? They did not. Uh, and how soon did they, how did they know they had COVID then? Well, they developed it soon after. For example, okay. um, whenever I, on March 23rd, um, I began to develop a temperature, cough, and a deep, deep fatigue. So, uh, I went to the, the, my hospital's ER. They tested, and at that time, they didn't get the results back for 10 days. By the time this whole thing ended, I was getting my results back by the next day. But now, under certain circumstances, we can get it back within 15 minutes. But that's very wow. expensive, and only the ER and the OR can do that. Usually, it's the next day. Um, yeah, so I was tested, and I was on quarantine until I got the results back, which was 10 days later. And I found out that I was positive. And uh, yeah. And then Mona, I mean, how did she get it? Oh, Mona yeah. Home. So, by the way, sorry, Mona. Yeah. So at home, I tried to quarantine myself, which is a nice try, but it's practically impossible. Even though I stayed in my bedroom, I wouldn't come out without a mask on and et cetera. 
but two days later she began coming down with the symptoms, though her symptoms and mine were a little different from each other. We both had the COVID virus. Wow. That's a bummer. So yep. what were your symptoms? Were, did you need to be hospitalized? I mean, were you on the brink of death? Well, at the time, they didn't want you to come to the hospital unless you really had to because the hospitals, all of them were being flooded uh, with, the corroded, or with the COVID patients. So my symptoms were a temperature of 103. Uh, I had a dry, frequent cough and a really deep fatigue uh, where you... You would get up, I would get up and go to the kitchen, have a couple of bites of yogurt, then I have to go back to bed and just bleh. But I also had lost my sense of smell and taste, which is really strange. And then Mona's symptoms were a little different. Right, I had a migraine, uh, a fever. Um, I had threw up, uh, you know, all the, you had the runs and also uh, lost my sense of smell and taste. Uh, and like he said, deep fatigue, um, yeah. It actually took us about 10 days to get our sense of smell and taste back. But even now, it's not quite what it was no. before. And I've heard that from other nurses who've caught it. It's very strange. So you're still affected in some ways. What other ways are you still affected or, or maybe anticipate that you'll be affected for the rest of your life, if possible? Well, the only thing that I'm experiencing now is my sense of taste and smell are not as sharp as it used to be. Um, food tastes a little bland to me where it didn't before. And uh, I don't know, what, what are you experiencing now? Uh, I, I would say um, a little shortness of breath when I exert myself and also, uh, you know, a fatigue that I certainly didn't have before. Yeah, I think my endurance is a little yeah. bit lower, yeah. but I know of some nurses who had caught it. For example, I've got one nurse I work with who has a, smells constantly something burning, a burning smell. Yeah. And then my nurse manager who caught it um, she still has some chest pain and some shortness of breath. Mm. A very strange, strange disease. Wow. So explain um, the story you told me of how you actually caught it, that, that you had the uh, ER door was just flooded with people and they were just rushing in. There was no security. Uh, what happened? Explain that. Well, what happened is that when this whole thing began, people were having these weird symptoms. They come to the ER. And again, at the time, at the beginning, they didn't have any way of testing that. So they would admit them, and then the day after they were already on the floor, we'd say, oh, by the way, blah, 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 blah. And that way, a lot of people were exposed to it, including myself. Um, now, I can't prove it, but I think the way I was exposed is I had a young man come in, uh, and he was going to have uh, some minor surgery, and he was with his mom. And the next day after, I'd already spent an hour admitting him we found out that he had the COVID virus or he was being ruled out. Uh, but I had already spent an hour in the room with both of them. And then it was soon after that, I came down with my own symptoms. So, and I know didn't of other nurses who- Didn't you tell me someone actually vomited on you? No, not this time. Okay. Maybe another, another time, time, but not this time. <laughs> I'm mixing my stories up then. So, um, so what's going on today? I mean, how have has your um, hospital progressed? And uh, you you know more obviously about the virus than you did before. What what are the good things? What are the bad things? Well, <clears throat> again, this whole thing has been a real learning curve, Dave. Um, but we had we devoted two units, two whole units, and each unit is about forty beds to the coronavirus, and then we had to add one more. So we had one unit for what we call rule out COVID. That's for the people that we were suspicious of and they were testing. And then we had two units for the patients who had ruled in for the COVID virus. Uh, since then, we have been able to decrease the patients on the floor. And so we have less than what we did. But again, we had to devote three entire units to this. And the nurses on those units have to be in total isolation. They have to wear the gowns, the mask, the face shield, the gloves, the whole thing. Um, and they're not allowed to go to other parts of the hospital. And uh, also we had to limit, for a while we had no visitors whatsoever. And now we've changed it where you can have one visitor at a time. Um, and you can't have, again, you can't have multiple, just one visit at a time for a certain length of time. So things are easing up a little bit as we learn more and as we have less patients coming in. Um, again, there's, like you said, there's a lot of fear involved with this, and a lot of people 
uh, we're calling everything COVID that it may not have been. Again, I'm not blaming anybody as part of the learning curve because um, we just didn't know. Um, when my infectious diseases doctor got hold of me, we had to do exactly what we're doing now. It was a teleconference, so he could do this from his office. And, and he was saying, Jim, that this is just, uh, we're learning as we go because we've never experienced this before. Uh, yeah, so it was, it's been very interesting. But we have less patients coming in now. So I... That's a good thing. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've heard that we have more patients being exposed, more people being exposed, but yet other hospitals have heard about having less people coming in. So I'm really not sure what the story is there, but I do know that we have less than we did before. Well, I think one of the reasons why we have a lot less people um, dying and like coming down with really bad symptoms is because they kind of flushed out the, the seniors by really isolating them. They've encouraged them to stay home, not go to not go out, not go to church, not not grocery shop. And so you have a lot of caregivers and a lot of other younger people doing some of that uh, work that, you know, seniors were doing independently themselves. I think um, you know, younger people that are healthier, yes, they're getting the virus, but we're not seeing the, the severe symptoms and the dying that we were seeing before. Yeah. Did you experience any uh, shortage of masks, gowns, uh, all that stuff uh, in the beginning? We did. Actually, we were recycling masks, which I wasn't too thrilled about, but they, they weren't just exchanging masks. They were putting into a special box with our names on it, and they were irradiating them or doing something with a, some noxious gas that killed bacteria then give them back to us. But happily, most of that was happening while I was on quarantine. So by the time I came back, much of it had been resolved. Uh, it went like that for about a month or so, I guess, right? Yeah, a little over, about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, even the toilet paper, you know, all that craze was going on. I don't know if you had toilet paper craze going on in of California. Of course, the whole country. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe the world. <laughs> uh, between, that was crazy. Between the Lysol, the antibacterial, the alcohol, uh, and, and the toilet paper, we were also experiencing mask shortages. But I'll tell you, uh, one thing that I saw that I think was just awesome is um, neighbors and people were using their gifts, talents, and supplies to make things that uh, we were able to use in the intern until masks were, you know, available again. You know, they were using the um, hospital-grade masks for hospitals, and so they were leaving people, normal people like us, without. Um, I actually have a cousin named Dave Nassani that was such a blessing. He sent me some, a uh, couple of masks to hold us over until we could, uh, you know, get some on our own. And boy, he really, really came through. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I know that guy. He's awesome. He's awesome. Very humble man. He is. But you know what, Dave? We had some, like yeah. Mona was saying, with some neighbors who were making homemade masks. And when people found out that she was a PTA and I was an RN, I tell you, people treat us like gold. Yeah, like we just, were like heroes on D-Day. Yeah. And they were like giving firemen us on 9-11, huh? Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it was weird, but it was kind of nice. But it was kind of uncomfortable, too. But it was nice. Yeah. That's because you're so humble. Now, uh, did your hospital become like maxed out and you couldn't take any more? You had to send them to other places. Was it ever like that? We did intermittently, but that usually lasted about a day or so. And and anybody who absolutely didn't have to come to the hospital, we discouraged them from coming. And we had stopped all elective surgeries, which was a real problem because elective surgeries are one of the major ways a hospital makes money. And this is why so many hospitals are hurting financially. Um, people tend not to think of it like that, but hospitals are a business. And if you stop their main source of income, i.e. electric surgery, they're going to be hurting. And uh, they would stopped all overtime. They would stopped all agency nurses coming in. They just, and um, if you work short, you just work short because they had to get the money back for some way. Does that mean you were not getting paid for all of this COVID activity that you were overwhelmed with? The hospitals? I never had a problem with that, but I do know that uh, just a few weeks ago, they're running short again and they're offering bonuses. And I've heard several nurses having difficulty getting those bonuses. Um, I'm sure that's resolved pretty quickly now, but I heard they were having some difficulty 
but we always got the paycheck. That was no problem. You know, I think one of, one of the things that one of the things that were happening at the hospital is they were overworking the staff that were there. Uh, you know, with the with the amount of cleaning and taking off and putting on and the it just I mean I Jim was just coming home completely like done emotionally physically you know the whole, the whole thing um, and and it really affects you know he he was like a, he's a professional caregiver but uh, it really does affect your sleep and your eating and your your social life everything you're just uh, I think they were just maxing everybody out. Um, not only for the fear of it, but the fear even of getting it again. But um, even masking and gloving and gowning and all that is just a lot of, you're working harder for less, for sure. Yeah, and it, it lowers your immune system, which makes you more vulnerable to, to catching it as well. And so uh, tell me, Mona, when you, um, uh, when you got it, uh, did, were your symptoms similar to his or were they slightly different? And were you two both like freaking out, oh my God, because nobody knew anything about it at the time. Did fear uh, kind of go into overdrive with you? And, and how did you control the fear and the uncertainty? My symptoms were similar to Jim's. I didn't have it as long, and I don't know if it was like a mental thing, like moms can't get sick, like I'm a <laughs> caregiver. I'm a caregiver. Like I, I, you know, I, I even had to find coverage for my parents while I was kind of give it to them too, right? Yeah, and even wearing a mask. I think you know, um, for us personally, the, there was really minimal fear for each other. I think our hugest concern was transmitting it to the family, to my parents, and um, also, you know, that the the threat of the extended family warning us, "You better not give it to them." Uh, <laughs> the, seriously. <laughs> Um, but but uh, as far as like recovery and all that, I don't think we had any fear. And the fact is, is that we deal with people that die often. We deal with big sicknesses. We've had our own challenges. And so our, you know, I don't think that we battled the amount of fear. We did have a lot of peace through it. Uh, most of it was just trying to keep other people that were all keyed up. I mean, uh, I, I have to say, my parent, my mother specifically, uh, dealt with very bad anxiety. I mean, she just freaked out when we brought groceries in. Everything had to be washed and cleaned, and don't stand too close, and don't touch Bad. your father. You know, just yeah, all that. They're we in their nineties. They're in their nineties. Around yeah. ninety, yeah. Dad's ninety-two, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, our kids are our kids They're are all grown. Yep, grown. and when they heard that we had the COVID. 19 they all wanted to come home and take care of us which we were very grateful for we said guys don't come here Mona and I actually Mona and I tend to take things in stride so I wouldn't say we're you know we're dancing around carefree because we were very sick we didn't need to be hospitalized but at first Mona took care of me and then when she came down I tried to take care of her and then we just looked at each other we just did the best we could for a couple of days and the first week was really tough. The second week, we felt better, but the second week, we were very, very weak. But then after that, we quickly began getting our strength back. And after five weeks, I finally tested negative, and I went back to work. It took more than seven weeks. But the last three weeks for each of us actually wasn't bad. But the first how two many, weeks... How many tests before they know that they know that they know that you're not positive? Well, at the time, I was being checked every 10 days I had seven tests seven swabs it felt like they were you know rubbing the back of my brain oh I hate those <laughs> yeah but, no but but I want to say that like this was before again we were like the first batch of people to get it so um, they were really, really waiting invasive right so we they were really waiting for us for me to have for us to have two positive two negatives in a row now they're not really as concerned about that it seems i don't know but uh yeah you know i want to go back to the anxiety thing i think you know um what happens when probably california uh, deals with earthquakes and you know wherever you live that has c catastrophic tendencies the news hypes you to the max we recently had a, a you know a concern about a hurricane coming 
And I mean, the news now runs 24-7. Uh, you can get it on anything you hold or look at. It just feeds that fear factor, and uh, which is very different than years ago when you come down with something, you know, you just kind of move on. But I think the, the COVID-19 thing with the fear, you know, the fear factor was increased because they were shoving so much information without a lot of knowing, you know, what's yeah. going to happen. And, um, and, you know, people take, I mean, what else was there to do except to listen and, and watch? Right. And it's good for ratings, it's good, good for their profits, so they, 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 um, they have a vested interest in uh, keeping us afraid I'm, and glued to the Capitalism. TV. Which is, yeah. <laughs> let, let's take a short break. We'll be right back because i got a lot of questions to ask. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back with Jim Dowda, registered nurse and his lovely wife, Mona Dowda, uh, physical therapist. And we're talking about uh, COVID, COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, Wuhan virus, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> we know what it is. And they're on the front lines, and they're in West Palm Beach. And uh, we're just talking about just the facts, no politics, etc. Now, I'm going to get very close to politics, but I'm not going to cross the line here. Um, there's an article going out, and people are talking about that uh, who and how many actually have the virus. I'm hearing numbers of 200,000, 180,000, 170,000, 160,000. And then this article comes out that says, oh, by the way, 94% of these uh, didn't necessarily die from COVID-19, but they had other issues. And, of course, the right is saying, ah, they're lying to us, only 9,000 died. And the left is saying, no, 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 no. Uh, once you have other issues... That's a death sentence. Just because you had diabetes doesn't mean you're going to die, but mixed diabetes and COVID, now you're going to die. So give me the apolitical uh, answer to this question. Are they both wrong? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I muted you. Okay, go ahead. Start over. Okay. You want to know my answer? This is it. I do I want to no know idea. your answer. <laughs> I have no idea, Dave. <laughs> I do know that there's a reason why so many elderly people have died from it, because most elderly people have secondary issues. Few of the younger have, but of those younger, they have had issues, and the nurses that I've worked with who've caught it um, have had secondary issues like asthma or something of that sort, but um, I really had no major issues uh, that I know of. Um, I'm not a diabetic. I don't have respiratory issues. I, you know, but uh, not overweight. I caught it. Well, I am overweight. So it's most <laughs> of America. Work on that, yeah. buddy. Me <laughs> yeah. and most of the U.S. But um, so I really can't give a straight answer on that. I, I don't know how many people actually have had it. I do know that as we've gotten a better grip, um, I know that we have less people coming in. Um, I know that we are developing other medication. I was just reading an article yesterday that said that when people started being given um, steroids when they came in, that decreased uh, the ramifications of having the disease, unless people died because of that. Um, I, I know that I was reading another article that said that in Iceland they found out that the antibodies disappeared after four months, but I've had it for five had it five months ago. And every time I give platelets, which is about every week, they always check for antibodies, and I still have antibodies. So 
I don't know how accurate their study was because I've had it a month longer than what they said, and I still have antibodies. Mona is giving plasma um, for uh, for the COVID patients, and I already gave platelets for a variety of things. So, um, yeah, and we so, they, so they're checking our antibodies, each and time. We, we're still showing that we have them. All right, a little, a little education here for those who are unfamiliar with the terms antibodies and plasma and platelets. Uh, what's the difference between giving blood and giving plasma, or is there a difference? And just explain as a layman, you know, like a sixth grader, what all this stuff means. When somebody gives blood, they're referring usually to whole blood. That means you get the red blood cells, the white blood cells, platelets, plasma, etc., and that you can give every eight weeks. When you're giving plasma, plasma is the liquid part of the blood, uh, and that carries the uh, resistance. Whenever you give a, a convalescent plasma, they call it, to somebody with COVID, it helps them to get better. And you can give that every every you can give it twice a week, but they the American Red Cross recommends once every 28 days for your health. When you're talking about platelets, which is the clotting factor of the blood, I can give once a week which is what I do. Now, the playlist doesn't affect the COVID, but it does help other people with the other issues, so I just continue to do what I'm already doing. Amona gives plasma. So the plasma that you're giving to other people, that you're giving to hospitals, that they give to other people, they're giving to people who are not um, COVID-infected yet? Is that what you're saying? Or are they giving it to people who are COVID-infected? The plasma is being given to the COVID-infected, and they've had very good results with that. Early on, in treat early on in treatment. Right, because yes. the plasma carries the antibody. The resistance. Resist from one person to the next. And an antibody, explain what that is and why it helps someone. It's part of your immune system. It's like the, it's the white blood cells that fight that particular disease. Uh, and because we have had the COVID-19, it's like uh, our white blood cells have been imprinted with that. So when it comes across it again, it fights it. And there's been a lot of debate upon how long those antibodies will last. Some people say because the COVID-19 is called that because there are other COVID diseases out there. This is the 19th one. And so because they're still learning exactly what this means, they're thinking at first that the, the antibodies of resistance could last a very long time like other COVID diseases. But now they're saying maybe it only lasts four months. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Right now they just don't know. I know that every time we give a blood product, uh, they check us for antibodies, and so far it's been five months for us, and we still have antibodies. So they're going to keep using monas for the convalescent uh, uh, plasma, and they'll keep using mine just like they always do. I give a lot of mine for the cancer patients, for other this, and uh, for a variety of causes. So you know, there's a reason for each of us to give blood, and we still have the antibodies. Uh, are they as strong as they were five months ago, uh, or? Again, the study I read yesterday said that they're strong initially afterwards, then they plateau, and then it stays the same. I don't know how strong mine are. All I know is I still have them, and the same with Mona. Strong enough to be useful. So it's kind of like uh, plasma is kind of like giving your immune system extra ammunition, bullets, because they're go. running low on bullets. I'm Absolutely. I'm an analogy. Yeah, okay. There you go. Um, now, you said something interesting, COVID-19, that there's 19 of them, because I, I never knew why it's called COVID-19. Can you explain that? Does that mean that this thing has mutated 19 times or no? No. The, 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 <clears throat> what it is, Dave, is that when it first came out, for a while they were calling it the nouveau COVID because there's a new COVID disease because it has the same basic uh, cell, the COVID cell, but it's different enough to be a different aspect of it. Um, that's why it's called the COVID-19. There aren't different versions of the same one, but the different versions of something which has a, a foundation of the COVID virus. You know, the COVID virus was renamed the Corona virus, which means crown. I guess the actual virus looks like a crown. That's why they're yeah. right? So the COVID is just a shortened term. And from what I understand, like with some of the with some of the viruses hun, that were COVID, not in nineteen, but um, not Ebola. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think chickenpox was one of them. Uh, 
Oh. With SARS, there you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. SARS, yeah. Yeah, like those. So the, that might have been like COVID-8. You know, I don't know, but like that. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's I in thought the it family. Was yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we have a question from one of our Facebook Live people. Uh, since a lot of these uh, people are caregivers, they want to know, uh, what was the caregiving experience like and was there a lot of fear? Because you're caregivers and you're caring for your parents, both of you are. And so um, you're probably more fearful for them than you were for yourselves because that's how caregivers are. <laughs> they give and give and give, nothing left to give. They don't. They rarely put their oxygen mask on first. So explain the fear part. You, I know you touched on it before. Actually, that's a good question because even though I was quarantined, as soon as I was tested at the hospital, uh, a week before that, I was having so many of the, corona, uh, the COVID patients in that I self-quarantined away from my in-laws. Now, I love my mother-in-law. And they live just down the block, right? About a mile away. We love them to death. And I had to talk with them. I said, guys, I want you to know I love you. But to protect you, I'm self-quarantining myself from you so you don't get it. Uh, because... I, I figured it was only a matter of time because I was coming across so many of these patients. I just didn't want to explain. Actually, we stopped going to our church, too. I had a heart-to-heart talk with my pastor. I said, Pastor, I love this church. I love you, but I have to do this. And he understood. No problem. We still, we still maintain contact. But um, for a long time, when we went over there, we had the mass social distancing. We limited contact. Uh, and it was bad because, again, both are around 90 years old. And we are used to being over there frequently, checking up on them, loving on them. Um, and it was very lonely for them. And uh, as time went by, um, then we could ease it up somewhat. But it was scary at first because, again, part of the learning curve. And we had to put up all this gear, isolation equipment, before you even go in the room. I remember one time we had a code on one of our uh, COVID patients had actually, his heart had stopped. And before we can go in the room, we had to put in all the gear, and and we had to make sure each other was very careful not to become exposed while we were trying to save their life. And that was kind of rough. Uh, yeah. Well, did, did you go through depression or anxiety or um, boredom? I mean, what were you going through when you were quarantined because you wanted to protect your loved ones? And what do you recommend to people who, who they can't stay away from them because they're like in the next room. How do you effectively quarantine yourself from someone who's just in the next room and you've got to feed them, you know, they got to go to the bathroom, bathe them, etc. cetera. Uh, what's up with that? Well, I think that, um, you know, there's a job, you're an essential worker at that point. Uh, being a caregiver is an essential worker job. I'm not talking about in the hospital, for, but like for home uh, I was doing home care visits. Uh, you have to, you know, you got to carry on all the, like, the universal precautions. And, you know, I think the reality is um, we're going to die of something. And that yes. we just, I mean, that's, we're, you know. We're I down to that, huh? <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, though. You're going to die yeah. of something. And, of course, we don't want anybody to suffer. But you do the best you can, and that's all you can do. And I think when you come to that the terms, I even told my parents, I said, you're going to die of something. And so hopefully I'm not the one that brought it to you. But I think the other thing, too, is, you know, acting responsibly takes away, even if they do become infected, as a caregiver, being the most responsible I can be takes away that feeling that I've done everything I can. Um, the other thing, um, if you, if you, you know, that's, that's if you have to really be like on, on hand care group, care giving. The other thing too, is like for a caregiver that can't be present all the time, you know, um, I sent a lot of cards out. I mailed a lot of cards. I did a lot of phone calling. I tried to stay in touch so that the, the seniors that I was daily involved with had some kind of contact because I, you know, I've talked to my five siblings, four siblings, and I said, so so what, mom and dad are going to die of loneliness? Are they going <laughs> to die of depression? Or are they going to die of the COVID? Like what, what you know, because they're very or, sociable or people. Or suicide. Or so, right. So, you know, I think a lot of it is just finding a place of peace and doing the best you can. And that's what we're trying to do with the masks right now. That's what we're trying to do with the hand washing and being responsible and, you know, we all know if we're responsible and something happens, 
there's less guilt and you know regret yeah, yeah. but along the same, that same line of questioning dave is that absolutely masks good masks also social distancing washing hands uh hand sanitizer all these things and just use wisdom now my nurse manager when she had the COVID, she just recently came back a few weeks ago she had to send her kids to a relative to take care of for them to take care of her kids mm -hmm. and she had friends and family who would look in on her and drop food off at the door and and uh, she had to self-isolate in that way um and it was tough <sighs> yeah it was tough. but um we're up on, first, on another break, but we're just going to keep talking because we got so much to cover here and we're running out of time. But okay. uh, you bring up a good point about the masks. Uh, and thank you, Bill, for that question. Bill wants to know uh, more um, how do you keep a positive attitude and, and uh, should we be listening to the media or just turn it off, you know, a lot of misinformation out there. But uh, before you answer that, uh, you brought up masks. Um, you said good masks. That's a good point because there's a lot of different masks out there. They said, you know, wear your shirt, wear a bandana, wear this and that. None of those things have been tested. And, uh, you know, coronavirus, uh, even bacteria, even regular virus can pass through a lot of that stuff. Are we really being safe by wearing any mask? Uh, or should we? Uh, now they say, well, you can't have a medical mask because you guys need them. So, what is that all about? And, and is a mask just giving us a sense of false security? And that's another where, where the left and the right vehemently disagree on this. A mask is better than no mask, even though it's, it's so there's not good, better, best. and best, right? <clears throat> there you go. There is mediocre, good, better, and best. <laughs> like when you, when you pull it up like that, that's better than nothing, but Better than but sneezing on somebody and your shirt isn't an, uh, above your nose. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but the N95 not, not are the, okay. Yeah, the N95 are the best. And that's what you sent us, by the way. Thank you Thank again. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Well, I, I'm an essential worker. I have a gas station. I got God knows who coming in, wanting to buy things, wanting to pay things, giving us their money, using the restroom. We got to clean that restroom. So we only used, you know, N95 and K94 Korean masks, and those are the ones I sent you. And believe it or not, I was criticized, and we sell them too. I was criticized that, oh, you know, you're taking – so I went to my local hospital. They said, oh, are you, are you giving them away? I says, well, no, I'm a businessman. I'll sell them to you at cost if you want them. No, 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 we don't need them. So it's like they weren't really desperate. And, it, and the, you know, you, you hear these stories about uh, – that they're, like you said, uh, recycling and, and wearing the kerchiefs and this and that. But that really wasn't true. Now, maybe it's true in isolated spots in the Midwest or something, but it certainly wasn't true in my neighborhood. But I took a lot of heat for wanting to protect myself. You know, it's like you can't win. Yeah. Someone's always going to complain. And uh, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's the same issue nowadays where um, – we, we, I don't see the same shortage now that we had at the beginning because all these other companies have, have revamped and been churning them out like, like the M&Ms. And, uh, so and the Internet is full of other masks, designer masks. And I, I ask, well, what's that thing made out of? I mean, it, how safe is your designer mask? Or even the one that say Black Lives Matter or I Can't Breathe or, or you know, I Love L.A. or whatever. <laughs> you know, Capitalism. How, how safe have they been tested you know, what level do you know you're getting? And now there's copper masks. Uh, is that good, best, better, or better, best, you know? We just don't know. Well, I think, you know, people, we, we can't even get people to cooperate to wear a mask. Yeah, a lot of so, people come to my station, and we have to argue with them. And they say, well, this is a big conspiracy. I says, you know, go across the street or put on a mask, but you're not using my restroom without a mask. I'm sorry. And, uh, I mean, we don't care what kind of mask, which... I don't know. It's it's frustrating, and it's very hard on my employees. Many of them don't like confrontation, and and they go home anxiety ridden, you know, and and have sure. to see a doctor for the anxiety or on medication for the anxiety because they have to tell customers put your mask on. Dave, I tell you, whenever I get into an argument with somebody about the mask, you know, you can go back and forth. Finally, I usually say, tell you what, come to my hospital. I take you down to the morgue. You can talk with them about whether you should wear a mask. Now, they don't talk very much, but I bet they'll win the argument. 
And every single time, that stops the argument. I take you down to the morgue, and then you can argue with them. And that stops the argument. You can talk all about your constitutional rights for a mask. Just wear the mask to help somebody else out. Now, yeah. technically, technically, Mona and I don't have to wear a mask because we have antibodies, but we wear it as an example to other people. Right. Right, right. And so there will be a lot of for their peace of mind, not yours. Uh, thank exactly. you, Bill, for your thank you, Bill, for your question. Amy has a question. My stepson with autism doesn't want me to love on my husband. So that sounds like a guilt issue, right? My say it again, please. My and you have an autistic child, so you know. Oh. My stepson with autism doesn't want me to love on my husband. You know, hug and kiss. I'm assuming. Because maybe his right. understanding is limited. I don't know. How, how do you deal with that? Well, we don't know the degree of his autism. Um, but just explain to him. I mean, if you're right there in the same house, um, if you're going to catch it from each other, you probably would have already, depending on how long yeah. how close you are. Uh, it took more of myself. Maybe if he, he never, will never understand, just do it secretly. You know, I don't know. There you go. I mean, it took Mona two days from, to catch it from me. And I was trying to be isolated from her. Um, so I don't know how. And I, and I come home to my wife every day, you know, and I try to be careful. We have masks, uh, employees, and customers. We have the shields. We have the sanitizers. And uh, I'm amazed that uh, I'm still healthy and she's still healthy. But thank um, God, you know, and I'm 66, so I'm in the high-risk group, but I'm very healthy 66. I have no medical issues. Yeah. Right. So, as far as that example you gave us, I'd say play it by ear. I mean, uh, try to explain it. Again, we don't know the degree of the autism, but, uh, and again, if you need to limit it around him, uh, it's, hard to give a straight, it's hard to give a straight answer, Dave, on that yeah, one. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, uh, you talked about there's many ways to die, Mona, and mm -hmm. and that is so true. Uh, what is the danger? Because it's like, you know, I, I think about how uh, up in Washington State they would sh uh, shut down an, the entire logging industry because they wanted to save a white spotted owl from extinction. And all these people, you know, went broke and, and this and that. I mean, the cure, uh, the the medicine can't be worse than the disease, you know. The cure can't be worse than the disease. And I talk about suicide. I just spoke about that at, at CNN, you know, at that medical conference. Um, suicide rates are through the roof, not only through for healthcare workers and the teenagers, which were already high, uh, but the general population and caregivers are even more prone to suicide because they have a very, very stressful job right up there with, you know, disposing of nuclear waste. I, I joke, but um, what is the dangers of isolation? And uh, some states are talking, no, 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 kids can't go back to school till we get a vaccine, and that could be years. And some people don't want to try a vaccine that's going to come out maybe in, <clears throat> in November, excuse me, because uh, some people say, oh, no, 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 you need like uh, 18 months at least. Otherwise, uh, you know, from one of the other viruses, uh, there was people who had paralysis that was right. linked to that. I mean, you just have to study these people for a long period of time. So what is the risks of um, isolation uh, versus, you know, just keeping kids out of school, et cetera, when I'm told that kids are less prone to receiving it, and they say, well, then they can transmit it to teachers. Well, I don't know if that's known or not. I, the uh, the World Health Organization at one time said that uh, they can't, and then they backed it up because you don't know what you're hearing is political or factual anymore, and that's why I would say just turn off the, the media, but then if you're turning off the media, where are you going to get your information from? I know I gave you a lot of, to talk about there. So take your time. Well, <clears throat> I know personally... I get my sort my information from a variety of sources. Uh, most of it's from YouTube. I can control the the uh, the commercials and other things. I just get the information. I try not to listen to it all the time because it'll drive you nuts. Um, but as far as a school, Dave, that's a good question. That's a really good question, and it's a hard question because I can see both sides. But yeah, you have kids. If if they were young, you know, what would you do? You know, it is a tough it's question. It's different in our case because and Mona, 
it'd be very easy for Mona to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, yeah, you homeschooled your kids anyway. Yeah, a little, bit. a little bit we did. But, but some, uh, we some parents just aren't built that way. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't do it for the entire school, uh, school career either. We only did it for a few years because it wasn't working out for us, but that's a different issue. And many parents can't go to work, back to work, because the kids are at home and they're just not good teachers. And maybe they need to join a, a homeschool group because th those are around. Yep. We've got friends of ours who have done that when they were younger. And uh, we've also had no people. Um, I mean, working from home is going to be a big thing to, to do that. But there are some issues with that as well. But uh, that may never change. I mean, we may be doing more and more of that. Um, I mean, I just don't think the the whole thing is, nothing is ideal. Nothing is. Staying home for some parents is torture. Sending your kids to school is torture. Not bringing in enough money is torture. It, I just, I don't think that, you know, um, there there's a lot of, dis I think, sorry, I think we're going to see a lot of disciplinary issues with children that have been left to themselves at home. I yeah. think that uh, we're we're going to see a whole different generation uh, based on what has even happened. I think tw tw 2020 is going to be a launching pad for like we don't we really don't know. It's 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 like a, a lottery, you know. Throw it up in the air and see what comes down. Yeah. Because um, money has been an issue, politics has been an issue, hurricanes and earthquakes and like natural disaster people have suffered during the. COVID, and then the COVID, um, and then we've also seen on top of that and an election and rioting and looting oh, and right, more division. You know, there's also been a lot of. Um, I mean, let's think of this for a minute too. A lot of people have lost loved ones, whether they've died in the hospital or at home, and haven't had the ability to have closure or support. That's sad. Which has really been sad. I have a couple of friends whose moms are uh, have Alzheimer's, and they went down just because they weren't allowed to come to the hospital. You know, they bring a, a tray to them at the hospital. Uh, if they eat, they eat. They don't eat, they take the There was just a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, I, it's just a lot of changes. I don't think anything is win-win. I think it's, you, you know, you're just going to have to find a place of peace somewhere. It's very individual. You know? I wish I could give you a straight answer on that, Dave, but yeah. it's got to be very individual. Let's talk about the, the drugs. Uh, people are talking about uh, steroids uh, in the earlier or the later, I don't remember, but HQ, they're saying if you take it, you know, uh, in the early stages, you won't need to be hospitalized. So, and that's become very, very political. I mean, very political, to the fact where testing has stopped, and uh, we're not even uh, checking it out to see if it's true or not. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of people are fearful now because of things they've heard in the media that they don't even want to volunteer for testing. I mean, what's your opinion on this whole uh, drug versus vaccine versus uh, antibody and the politics playing a part? I think it's ridiculous. I think that if there's a chance and they could help, then you should offer it. Um, and many are, I, right? Many are. Have, have you, has your hospital been doing it at, at any time in the past? My understanding, again, apolitical, but my understanding is that the, the HQ actually was showing some promise. Um, was it 100% to get rid of it? No, but it was showing improvement, it was showing promise. Uh, I was just reading again, like I was mentioning, that uh, when you give steroids throughout the advancement of the disease, that you can decrease it and decrease the, the, uh, the severity of it from the respiratory standpoint. We found that if you position patients certain ways in ICU, it helps the breathing. That's simple, but that was trial error. They learned that actually by accident that it helps them to mobilize secretions and get rid of it. Um, there are certain things that if there's any chance it could help, then they should be utilizing it. That's it. I, I, it, I, wonder, I wonder if everyone would feel differently about HQ if Trump wasn't the first one to speak about it. Uh, it's a shame. It's really a shame. It's a shame. Apolitical. Yeah. It's hard to be apolitical. <laughs> I know it's hard. We only have a, a 
maybe six more minutes left. Uh, what should we talk about that we did not talk about yet? Hmm. Well, I do believe that when we initially began to social distance and wear masks, um, we were seeing a big decrease in the uh, exposure cases. But it's when the, like when the uh, college kids went to the beach and they just hung out on the beaches and they just ignored what, and they said, well, it's not going to affect us, but they carried it home to their family and it affected the rest of the family. Um, and the riders, I think it's ridiculous uh, because the people, you know, we were doing so well and then they started doing this and began spreading again even faster. Well, if, you, if you're doing something that is working and then you stop doing it, don't be surprised if it stops working because you're no longer doing what you were doing before. Yeah. All I can say is social distancing, mask, good hand hygiene, it works. It works. You know, I think it's, um, I agree with Jim on, on all that, but I think it has also taken a toll with the lack of physical contact. I mean, I work a physical job. That's what physical therapy is. And, you know, without the hands-on, I believe that the, uh, the temperament of people have become impatient, unloving, unkind. I think we're missing a component with the social distancing that is, is very sad. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I, I, I am a toucher. I definitely express myself through uh, hand-holding and through some kind of contact. But, you know, we found... Which humans that, need, by the way, or they die. We, we absolutely do. But there are ways to express love. Um, you know, our eyes can speak a lot and uh, animating our face. And also uh, people can um, send cards. I know I, in Jim's lunches because he's a first responder and he works really hard. I often throw a little note in his, in his lunchbox to remind him that he's appreciated. I'm just saying that like with caregivers, there are some ways if you can't make physical contact that we can stay connected to our loved ones and uh, and families. Dave, can I throw something in on what Mona's saying? Yeah. When Mona and I were both sick, uh, people said, wasn't it difficult being that intensely together? You know, it wasn't. Because Mona and I, one, we enjoyed being with each other. And we had to take care of each other. I was bad at the beginning. Caregivers to the caregiver. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you've got the cast on. You're right. Dude, are you cast? <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, let's see it. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I was actually saying to myself, he's got a suit jacket on and he's in shorts. <laughs> Real Underwear. Okay, but we won't right. talk about that. <laughs> At the beginning, I needed more, needed more than we just, but we did what we had to do. We did what we had to do. Yeah. And with my in-laws, like we said, is about a mile away. As soon as we could, we started going back over there. But happily, we have a sister-in-law in the general location who could cover for us when we couldn't do it. Uh, the kids are calling us every day. Just there are ways of maintaining contact, of showing love for each other. Because you're right, people are social creatures. Yep. We need the interaction. And um, But... Instead of people worrying about your constitutional rights, about whether you should wear a mask or not, think about your next-door neighbor, your family. Just do it for them. And remember, air, it's air on the side of caution. I mean, I don't mind wearing a mask. Yeah. And I don't argue with store owners going in there. And some of my competitors I've gone on because I've, I've heard that they're not enforcing it. So I went into another gas station and I watched. And sure enough, some people go in without a mask and they don't say a word about it. And it's the law here in L.A. County, so you know we we just have to do what we have to do. And I understand because they don't like the confrontation, and maybe they're afraid their employees will quit and this and that. But you know, I don't want to bring it home to my wife. I have other workers who don't want to bring it home to their elderly parents. And I mean, that's right. the bottom line. And it's right. true, we don't know. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. But what if they're wrong? You know, better to err on the side of caution. <laughs> Thank you so much. God bless you all. Thank you, Dave. And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Sometimes it feels 
Like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing, take it in and let it out. Keep 